pleased this morning to introduce to you, the, the EP family, uh, Dr. Lloyd Kim. Uh, Lloyd is the coordinator of Mission to the World, our denomination's mission sending agency that has uh, over 600 short and long-term missionaries across the globe. Uh, Lloyd is a, uh, a native of California and spent time serving overseas in the Philippines and then in Cambodia. And four years ago was called to serve as the coordinator of Mission to the World. Uh, he is a sought-after speaker, and we are blessed to have him here, not just today, but this whole weekend. And so, uh, Dr. Kim, it is a blessing to have you here. Please come and share God's Word with us this morning. Good morning. On behalf of Mission of the World, I want to send a very hearty thank you for all your prayers and support for our missionaries over so many years. Uh, It is a privilege for me to be with you this morning to share God's Word. So if you do have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to a very familiar passage, Matthew chapter 28. Verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Let's give ear to the reading of God's very own word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came to them and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Uh, Pray with me, if you will. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide our reflection upon these familiar words. Help me, Father, uh, by the same spirit to speak your message for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As was mentioned earlier, our family had the privilege of serving as missionaries for about seven years in Cambodia. Little known fact, did you know that Cambodia is actually a kingdom? It's true, they have a king. Uh, The current king, however, is not very respected by his subjects. His father, uh, King Sienuk, was very respected. He led the country to independence from France, uh, but his son, the current king, who's sitting right now, Uh, Most of his life, he was a ballet dancer in Italy. So you can imagine he doesn't garner a lot of fear and respect. Um, Never married. He's single. And the truth is he has very little influence over his subjects. He's just a figurehead. The king that is respected in Southeast Asia was the former king of Thailand. If you remember a couple years back, there were demonstrations on the street. There was unrest. And it simply took the king of Thailand at the time to stand up before his subjects and to make a pronouncement. He would say, stop your demonstrations. Behave as Thai ought to behave. And at that, the people would drop their signs, pick up their things and go home. 
Can you believe that? That would never happen here, would it? Here's the thing, beloved. We also have a king. His name is Jesus. And what do you think people say about us who belong to his kingdom? Do they say his people don't really respect him very much? Or do they say at his command, they will drop everything and follow in obedience? Our message today is an opportunity to reflect upon the last words of our Lord, our King, before he ascended into heaven. And as we reflect on these words, what we are to do is to think about how these words, these resurrection words, renew our passion for missions, help shape our perspective of what missions is, and finally to give each of us a renewed sense of purpose as we live as citizens of his kingdom. So the first thing I believe the Lord is telling us this morning is that we really don't deserve to be a part of his kingdom building work. Can you imagine what must have been going on in those disciples' minds as they heard the news that early Sunday morning from Mary Magdalene? Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. Just three days earlier, they saw their Lord hung on a cross, his body limp, crucified. How could he be risen? How could he be alive? And he wants to meet us in Galilee. Now, if you remember, Galilee is about 60 to 70 miles away from Jerusalem, where the disciples were at the time. And so they had to travel probably three or four days just to get to Galilee. Can you imagine what they must have been talking about on the way there? Perhaps their minds flash back to the last time they were all gathered together. You remember where that was? The Garden of Gethsemane. Perhaps echoing in their ears were the last words that they heard from their Lord. So you can't even keep watch with me for one hour. And when the mobs came with swords and spears, Jesus said, rise, behold, my betrayers at hand. And at that, all of his disciples, all of his brothers abandoned him. Certainly Peter must have remembered how Jesus turned and looked at him as a rooster crowed in the courtyard of the high priest. So I can imagine these disciples walking to the place where they would meet Jesus filled with conflicting emotions, not only wonder and awe that maybe, possibly, Jesus really is alive, but also shame and fear and guilt that they might have to face the one that they denied and abandoned. It was when I was about 10 years old that uh, my older brother, uh, just about a year older than I, and a neighborhood friend were playing at a nearby park just a couple blocks from our house. And while we were there minding our own business, these older high school bullies uh, were teasing us from far away. Um, they actually had these water balloons were trying to throw them at us. Um, being rascally 10-year-old boys, we um, responded uh, 
in kind and we yelled back at them, not expecting what would happen next. They started chasing after us. And so we all had our bikes there at the time and, and we just grabbed our bikes as fast as we could and we pedaled as fast as we could back home where it was safe, back on our lawn. And uh, I remember pedaling and screaming and hearing screaming and hearing crying and my heart was beating faster and faster and I, I finally got to, uh, of course I was the first back home and uh, then our friend came right next to me and we looked back and there was my brother a block away. The chain had fallen off his bike. And sure enough, those bullies came by and took a couple cheap shots at him and took off. And there he was, uh, humiliated, weeping, angry, furious. He picked up his bike. He walked it over to where we were. We saw the whole scene unfold before us, uh, just kind of dumbfounded. He walked over. He threw down his bike. He came up to me. He slugged me in the stomach. and He said, where were you? Didn't you hear me crying for help? Honestly, all I heard was my own screaming, so I I, I couldn't really make out his cry. But I felt so bad after that. After the incident, we asked our dad to teach us Taekwondo. (laughs) That only lasted a couple weeks. You see, we should expect Jesus to meet his disciples in Galilee and to slug them, right? Say, where were you? Why did you abandon me? But he doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't reject them. In fact, when he meets Mary Magdalene, he tells her, go and tell my brothers. He calls them brothers, even Peter. And when he speaks to them on the mountain in Galilee, he doesn't mention their failures. He doesn't mention their sins. He doesn't mention even the fact that some were standing there doubting him. This is a picture of God's great mercy. Because you see, what what do they deserve? They deserve to be abandoned. They deserve to be denied before the Father. They deserve to be excluded from the kingdom. But instead of rebuke, Jesus, he forgives them. And he enlists them into this kingdom service, calling them to finish what he began. And so you see, this is a picture of God's amazing grace. But we need to ask ourselves, who are these disciples? Well, they're us. (laughs) We're just like them. Hesitant, doubtful, sometimes full of fear and shame and sin. Now, I don't know about you, but... When someone that I have offended, that I actually respect, overlooks my sins and shows me grace, I can't help but respect him even more. And when he demonstrates to me that my relationship with him is so secure, that there's no strings attached for his affection for me, I can't help but love him and reciprocate affection for him even more. And when I am convinced that I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not before him, that he sees me for who I am with with all of my brokenness and all of my failings and still loves me, I can't help but be passionate for what he is passionate for. 
And so where does passion for missions come from? It comes from a deep passion for the one who has given us his life and has showed us mercy and grace. You see, this isn't guilt trip motivation for missions, but one that springs from a sincere love and affection for Jesus because of all that he has done for us. And so the more that we dwell upon God's great mercy and grace for us, the more fuel that we add to missions fire in our hearts. And so, yes, we do not deserve to be a part of this kingdom building work. And yet he calls us by his grace. The second thing I think the Lord is telling us is that we don't have to be afraid to engage in his kingdom building work. Why? Because the one who sends us has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And when we go, when we send, and when we support, we do so with his authority. Do you believe this? You know, my fear is quite honestly that we don't really believe this. Oftentimes when we think about missions, we fall into one of two extremes. The first is approaching missions in utter fear and anxiety. We think perhaps how ill-equipped we are to engage even in sharing our faith with someone else or, or let alone entering into a discipleship relationship or God forbid begin praying whether God is actually calling us to serve overseas. Even for those of us who are called to send and support, we are often hesitant to give beyond what is comfortable. Why? Because we're afraid. So we need to ask ourselves, do we believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth and that we go send and support with his authority? Now, what would be the other extreme when we think about missions? The other extreme is being overly confident in our own authority, our own gifts, our own talents. Sometimes we think that because we are educated, because we are wealthy, because we're from the West, that the world has to somehow listen to our message. We act as if all authority has been given to us, and so we go in our own confidence and strength in doing his work. It's just as dangerous. Our first mission field was actually the Philippines. And when we arrived there, um, I actually had a Ph.D. in hand and was visiting the the theological seminary there, um, anticipating teaching uh, there as one of the professors. And I was honestly really excited uh, to be there thinking of all the preparations and all the, the work that I had to do to get there. When I went to campus, I met a couple of the students and uh, they were really friendly and they introduced themselves to me and then they asked, uh, so what year in school are you here? <laughs> I was so offended. They thought I was a student and so, but you know, I was trying to be polite and I said, well, actually I don't, I don't go to school here. They said, well, are you going to apply? You know, we need to ask ourselves some honest and hard questions. What kind of authority are we basing our confidence upon? 
Is it worldly authority? Is it our education, our money, our power? Or do we believe that Jesus has all authority and that we go, that we support with his authority? The truth is only by the authority and power that Jesus gives us by his Holy Spirit can we do anything of lasting value for his kingdom. You know the promise at the end of the Great Commission? We all know it, don't we? Behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. It's a promise that I think we often think that somehow Jesus is hovering over us when we do do his kingdom. I don't think that's a picture that is painted here for us. What is that promise? That promise is the promise of the Holy Spirit indwelling us, equipping us, empowering us to this task. Do you believe this? You know, when we we come to grips with this truth, what it does is it gives us humility and confidence at the same time. It gives us who are, are afraid, who are hesitant, who are doubtful, confidence knowing that Jesus is calling us to a task that cannot fail. And he's, he, he's equipping us with a power that has no bounds. At the same time, it gives us gospel humility knowing it's not us. It's not our education. It's not our power. It's not our, our gifts or talents by which his kingdom grows. This is a perspective we need to have as we think about missions. And so the Lord is telling us, number one, we don't deserve to be a part of his kingdom building work. And yet he calls us by his grace. And second, we cannot do his work, this work, by our own authority or power, but we can by his. And finally, I believe the Lord is telling us all this morning that every one of us, everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus needs to be involved in this mission work. In making disciples. What are those two main tasks that Jesus associates with making disciples? The first, baptism, right? The second, teaching. Why baptism? Now, baptism signifies one's entrance into Jesus' community of disciples, it, it requires a radical commitment to following the Lord and serving his people. Essentially, it says, I die to myself and am reborn by the power of the Spirit to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. Why teaching? Well, teaching is the means that Jesus uses to nurture and grow up disciples in the faith. And so not only are we to lead people to this radical commitment to follow Jesus, but we are to teach them to obey everything that Jesus commands. Here's the truth, beloved. We cannot make disciples unless we are disciples. And so have you made that radical commitment to following Jesus? And are you committed to a lifetime of learning in the gospel of grace? Do you realize that part of teaching others to obey everything that Jesus commands includes this command to what? Go and make disciples. 
And so part and parcel of being a disciple is making disciples. Maybe you're saying, isn't it the pastor's job to baptize and teach? Yes, God has his ordained servants for these unique functions of the church. But you see, we cannot get away from the simple fact that if you are a follower of Jesus, he is calling us all to obey this command to go and make disciples, whether sending, whether supporting, or whether going to the nations. Four pastors go to a restaurant. Uh, they are seated, uh, wait patiently for the waitress. She, she comes after a delay. She, she has a menu. She tosses them on the table and says, what do you want? They are so offended by uh, her rudeness that the whole evening meal is ruined. When they finally get through the meal, they pay the bill and the most uh, senior pastor calls the waitress over uh, because he wants to have a word with her. She comes and stands before him. He looks her right in the eye and, and says to her, seems like you had a hard day. Here, take this as a gift. Hands her a $100 bill. She's so moved by this act of grace, really, mercy, she starts to cry. She starts to pour out her heart. She starts to share all of her struggles and problems. And the pastor shares the gospel with her right there. And she believes. She receives Jesus as her king, her Lord, her savior. Out in the parking lot, the pastor turns to his three colleagues and tells them, and now I want each of you to give me $25. (laughs) You see, every one of us can be involved in making disciples. Some supporting, some leading people to this radical commitment to follow Jesus. But, of course, Jesus' teachings are gospel teachings, are they not? And so we don't need to teach our disciples that somehow they have to have these perfect, pristine Christian lives. Discipleship is simply showing someone else how to apply the gospel to all the areas of our life, our marriage, our kids, our work, our family. And when the center of discipleship is the gospel, the focus is less on us and more on him. And so we don't have to pretend to be something we're not. We tell people we're just as broken and messed up as you. And we need this sweet gospel every day. What is missions? Simply put, it's one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Now, certainly we can be involved in making disciples here in our hometown. But you see, the Great Commission is still the Great Commission. The Lord is calling his church to go. To go to other nations, to other places, to fulfill his redemptive purposes for the world. And so Jesus, our risen king, our reigning Lord, calls us to carry forth his message of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. It's not an option. It's not something we do if we have extra time. It's included in the very definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so, beloved, we need to ask ourselves this morning, do we respect our king? Do we love our king? Our king has delivered us from the bondage of our sin and our shame. And our king has set us free 
And so let us respect our King. And may His vision for the nations be our vision as well. This is my simple challenge to you, EP. To have the vision that our Lord has to see His kingdom advance throughout the world. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you for your spirit, which stirs us mightily to do all that you have commanded us. May we rest in the promise that you have for us, that you will be with us. And may we engage as we reflect upon the grace and mercy we've received. Bless us now, Lord. Help us to worship you. Help us to respond to your words. In Jesus' name, amen.